right, welcome back everybody to Season 2, Episode 5 of The Pod's Bat. Today we have Chelsea Olsen with us. Thank you, Chelsea, for joining. This is your first podcast, huh? Yeah. Are you nervous? Yeah. Okay. So what we want to do is tell everyone who you are and Mm -hmm. what you do, and then we'll get into the whole backstory. Sure. And the camera's there? Yeah, you're live. All right. So I'm Chelsea Olsen. I um, do different videos on mindset and motivation. I used to work with Jeff. He contacted me and said, do you want to come on and tell your story? So I said, okay. <laughs> so mindset, motivation, where did that, that, that come about? Obviously, your whole life you haven't been doing that. What mm-hmm. brought you into that phase of life? So I have kind of been doing this my whole life. Like I've always been into philosophy. And even as a young kid, like with my dad, he would always talk to me about these things and different perspectives on life. And then I had some traumatic experiences like with my health. And that drove me deeper into like meditation and uh, the spiritual path and just really deconstructing my beliefs and uh, being able to cope with challenging things. So what was the first traumatic experience and when was it? Um, well, I think like, so I always think of trauma. Sometimes people think it's like a, a big thing, like a car accident. For me, like I was always sick as a kid. So it was like a compounded traumatic experience where it's like that constant chronic illness type of situation. So through that, dealing with that micro trauma all, all the time compounding on each other, that's what I feel like was my first like real step into the world of trauma and trying to find a way to mentally cope with it. And then what was like the thing that put you over the top? Um, <laughs> that didn't put me over the top, no. Um, I don't know. I think like every human being, you know, we all have our own things. So... For me, uh, in 2008, I got, like, really, really sick, and it prevented me from, like, really doing anything. Walking was a challenge. So it was, for me at that time, like, there was nothing else for me to do other than just kind of, like, be with myself. And That was 12 years ago, 13 years ago at this point. A long time ago, yeah. And it was, like, just being able to, like, I was just there reading. I was meditating so much. Wow, back then. Yeah, I actually started meditating when I was 17, 18, because I... Uh, ex-boyfriend at the time he gave me this program called yoga booty ballet okay he was, fair. That's fair. He was up late at night yeah. and like you know he saw this program and he randomly got it for me because i wanted a bigger butt like total vanity you whatever know? nothing um, wrong with a bigger butt right exactly yeah. i mean even back then yeah. and then i that whole video like at the end you would do a meditation so meditating would help you actually get a bigger butt I, no <laughs> but it's supposed to relax your muscles maybe gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> rest is important uh, no, but it was just something that was incorporated into the end of the video because it was exercise but yoga. So I started down that path early, early on, and thank God I did, you know, because by the time I got really ill, I already had that foundation. What was year was that? You got 2008? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was actually before that, but I didn't know. What actually happened in 2008 other than the financial collapse of the world? Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, and, and us, us graduating, yeah. us graduating, right? Yeah. Didn't we both graduate in 08? Um, should have. I should have graduated. <laughs> Never graduated. Uh, so, yeah, so in 2007, uh, things started to get kind of weird. Like, I would be in class, and I had perfect vision, but everything would get blurry, and I was starting to um, just get disoriented. And, and I remember, like, especially in the shower, like, I would be taking a shower, and it would be really hot, and all of a sudden I'd step out, and I'd, I'd basically faint. I would see stars all the time when I stood up. Everything was going black. Lots of just vertigo-type mm-hmm. feelings. And, uh, you know, at first, everyone kind of just throws it to anxiety. Or you're nuts, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're psychosomatic, yeah. like you're psychotic. 
Um, and you know, to be honest, like when you go through those things, you even question your own mental state, right? Because sure. all these things are happening to sure. you. And it, it does take time for the outside world not to gaslight you into thinking it's something else. So what then happened from 2008 on? Give us that story. So much. Like just to, to put it in, together, um, in 08, so I, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis based off of MRI findings, which is like uh, there was white matter brain lesions. And then um, from there, I didn't really believe them. Like, I was like, you're crazy. Because yeah. I always knew I had celiac. So I was like, no, it's celiac disease. Like, I, it's just my gut, you know, gut health. And really was deep and heavy into holistic healing mm -hmm. and functional medicine. So I just denied it for a long time. And then it was just this, like, roller coaster ride of different symptoms popping up. Um, me not wanting to take the medications and, you know, just finding that balance of, accepting medicine into my life, I guess, and and also uh, me constantly trying to seek what I did have because, again, like in 2008, they were saying MS. It wasn't until 2018 that I had a real definitive answer. So you went 10 years without knowing what actually was going on. 10 years. Well, they kept telling me. What they kept saying to me is you're not accepting your MS diagnosis. You know, they would try to send me to, like, people to get help. Like, uh, even my own family. Like, my, my own family had my back for sure. But there were definitely times they sat me down. They're like, Chelsea, like enough. You got to take medication. You know, my own doctor's like, you're going to be in a wheelchair. Like you're a smart girl. But I just, you have to connect to your intuition on these situations. And like, if you genuinely know in your internal guidance system that something somebody's saying is amiss, you, ha you have to believe yourself. Do you think at an early age, so I'll give you an example, hypothetical. Yeah. So I'll be like, Something in my gut's off. And then someone higher above is like, oh, don't worry about it. You're overthinking it. And yeah. you're like, no, 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 no. Something in my gut's off. It's like, hey, we should go down this road. Exactly. Make a left, not a right. It's like, no, no, no. We need to make a left, you know? At an early age, we're taught not to trust our, like, what our body and our insides tell us. So how do we prevent other people from going through that? And, like, someone that's listening that has this gut feeling about something but allowing someone else to override a feeling that they're not necessarily accustomed to. Absolutely. I mean, this is something I try to instill in my children. Um, and your kids are how old? Three and six. <laughs> Which, two mini yous or one mini you? Two of them. I mean, the, the youngest is definitely like my clone. Yeah. Um, and then the older one's an angel. She's definitely better. A legitimate like, angel? She's a legitimate angel. She's way sweeter than I ever was. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think it first starts with doing the inner work to be strong in who you are and believe in yourself. And not letting, like I said, not letting people in any situation, whether that's a romantic relationship, a work situation, a friendship, gaslight you and make you doubt your reality. And you being confident in you knowing what your reality is. And when you know what your reality is, it doesn't matter if you met a doctor for five minutes, because let's be real, that's all they ever really give you. At most. At most. They're, they're not dictating my reality. Like, that doctor who gave me barely five minutes of their time, who looked at me and said, eh, you know, she has anxiety, or, oh, just MS, whatever, she's not accepting it. It's, they, they don't control my reality. I'm in this reality. You're in your reality every single day. When you wake up, you're with yourself. And if you are able to be with yourself, you will truly know yourself, and nobody and no other perspective is going to change your truth. So at what point do you adapt or submit to that? Because obviously there's times in life where yeah. you go, you know, deep breath, yeah, you know, yeah, kind yeah. Of breathe it out. How do you, how do you, uh, so, okay, so in knowing who you are and 
and being in your truth. That doesn't mean that you don't question certain different opinions or perspectives. Like a big thing on the healing journey or just life in general is not being super rigid, right? This rigidity in thinking and it's you see it a lot right now where Everywhere. everyone's like, I agree with this and I disagree with that and this is right and this is wrong. But when you surpass that duality and you could just take a step back and see like both sides, I think that's really important to be able to just view different perspectives. So then when you are sick and things are going on, you can know your truth, but you can step back and say, okay, this is what's being presented to me, this medication, here's why and make that decision to maybe try try out that other perspective. And it's again, like when someone's telling you a different opinion, mm. it's just expanding your awareness into something you might not have thought of before. And then you could always pick it up and try it. And then you could say it's not for you and leave it. You know, usually medication, like you'll know within the first three to six months if it's helping you, so, from my experience. So in 2018, when you finally figured out what was going on. Yeah, I was what, pregnant. <laughs> with your first? Second. With your second. Yeah. Was that liberating or was it kind of scary? Oh, shh. Scary in the fact that you just had a decade of unknown. I don't want to curse. Do you curse? Is it raw. Look, it, it, I wore the hat just okay. for you to look. Okay, good. Look. Okay, raw. Raw. <laughs> like Go a, ahead. Like an open book. Yeah. Uh, so it was a shit show. Um, so I was, it was actually 2017. Things got really bad because what ended up happening was, yes, like, you know, the neurological stuff, but on top of that, I was having coexisting conditions. So a lot of people, what they need to know right now, and if someone's listening and struggling physically, it's... <laughs> Something that didn't really occur to me was like, it could be more than one thing. Because I was always searching for the one thing that answered all the questions of what was going on. This was multiple things. So by the time I found out in 2017 that I had a mast cell issue, hyper-eosinophilia, POTS, and potentially CIDP, I didn't have that confirmed because I was pregnant. They couldn't confirm that. You're going to have to slow all those down, yeah. not right now, afterwards. Okay. And Ryan, our amazing graphic designer video editor, is going to put all those words in right oh, here at this Oh, it's so point. fun. All these so. technical terms. But I think yeah. awareness is a big thing in this, obviously. Yeah. Right? Awareness is huge. And people so that are listening need to hear what's actually being said. Because yeah, yeah. everyone knows someone that's probably going through this that doesn't want to accept it. Right. Or doesn't know. Or doesn't know. I mean, mass cell is such a big thing. And they don't people don't know. hundred and thirty three million Americans struggle with chronic illness every wow. single year. How many Americans are there? Like, like three hundred. How many people million? are actually Americans nowadays though? Like hundred and fifty? I don't even Most know. people are undecided. Who, who are like not patriots. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole other topic, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, but and then 12 million Americans get misdiagnosed every single year. So you have a whole subset of these people who are struggling chronically. Then you have 12 million people that are misdiagnosed. Is that because they're going to the wrong doctor? No, that's not. It's because there is a fundamental flaw in how our medical system is run. And the do it's not to be against the doctors because I actually have grown to literally love some of my doctors they've helped me tremendously it's that they and i've heard their struggle they don't have the time there's this system where it's like a churn like they're churning churn and people burn. churn yeah. and burn yeah. Yeah. and they just they're trying like to like officers literally they're like financial yeah. like us yeah. and, and it, not they, like you not like me no but they just they <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like the nice guy, yeah. you're a nice guy. Yeah. they they it's not really it's not their fault you know they're they're overworked too so th there's that whole flaw but in 2017 to go back to that when I found all this out, I was pregnant, and I, I couldn't do anything, really. Um, and I was really struggling. Like, for anyone who has multiple symptoms, um, for me, the skin issues I was having at the time were tremendous. So I was having a lot of anaphylaxis, where my throat would close 
My face would swell up. I couldn't breathe. Um, and I was having a lot of severe skin hives and rashes. And that probably made anxiety that much worse. Yeah, like I didn't even have anxiety at that point. I was like literally numb. I was so beat down by this physical experience. And I was so, I was at first like very worried about my daughter because I'm pregnant and I'm going through all these chemical releases and this inflammation. I couldn't gain any weight. I was throwing up like 10 times a day. Those are like features when you're pregnant anyway, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, but this was like all exacerbated. And then when I, I went to the doctor, he's like low fetal movement. And this is after I just lost a baby. And I'm like, oh. no, like I am like freaking out. Um, and then I finally find out what's wrong, but then there's nothing I can do. And I know I have all these extra eosinophils. So there's a difference between proliferation and activation. Proliferation is when you have too many of something. So I had too many eosinophils. And knowing what that could potentially do to my daughter and just knowing what my state was physically like how that how was i going to grow this human being in this fire this garbage fire of a body you know um so that was that make you a question who you were as a person as a mother all those things i mean i can imagine like this the spiral downward that could close there was a mental spiral i mean there was some there was definitely a point where i was like how the hell am i going to do this and that that there was one day that got really really bad and there's a lot of relationship tension. I told you, you know, uh, not with their dad anymore. And at that point, we were still living together, but we were going through mediation to try to figure out custody. And it just kind of piled on. And I swear, I feel like I hit, I hit the ground, like physically hit the ground one day. And I was so str- just done. And I just prayed to whatever universe, like whatever intelligence is keeping my heart beating, keeping her alive, like whatever that is, just get get her through, get her through healthy. Like I will suffer every minute. I don't care. Just I want her to be healthy. Like I'm surrendering. Just make make it okay for her. And at that point, like I feel like around that time, I went numb. Like I, not physically, just like emotionally yeah, yeah. numb. Yeah, you remove yourself from your body. I remove myself, and I made it through. I also had some really great Reiki healers. Um, I have the best friends on the planet. I really do. I have the best family. Like. These things just kind of like, I feel like they just pulled me through in ways they'll never understand. Did anybody turn their back on you or eventually just like not be there the way you expected them to? Because I can imagine going through that. People have their own stuff going on and people like Mm -hmm. who you think be your friends turn out not to be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny. Um, So I got really sick when I was young. So I was 21 and this is in the party phase, right? I don't know what it is, but my girlfriend stuck by me. I mean, they would stay in with me. I mean, like my best friend Amanda, my best friend Erica. I mean, they just, they were there for me and showed up in ways that amaze me. And I'm sure, you know, that's a big thing for people. You do re- lose relationships, especially sure. when you can't go party. Sure, if that's what your relationship's built on, right? Yeah, but our relationship, like these girls that are in my tribe are incredible. You have to have like, your own little tribe? We have a tribe. What's it called? Is <laughs> it like a group chat where you guys are like, oh, the girl tribe? Like, they're actually, they're a, a group of friends that all grew up together in Saratoga, and I'm like the odd man out, and they just adopted Did me. Did you meet them in college? Yeah, and they, yeah. Ado- they literally adopted me, and now we're kind of all over the country, but... Yeah, no, I was definitely blessed in that way. But in a relationship, like, here's the deal. When you, if you're with someone and they're ill, that, and you're, let's say you're the guy, you know, that might not be what you want to take on. So in my relationship, I was, you know, not healthy, and he knew that, but I was on certain medications, like steroids a lot, like, that were helping. And then removing that in the second pregnancy, having that grave type of situation that illness that stress you know it's not to say that that person turned their back on me 
It's that I think it was too much for that person. And, and that's fair. Yeah, it's fair. I mean, it is what it is. You know, unfortunately, yeah. like, like I said, if you're true to yourself, yeah. you, know, you don't pick and choose what you're true to yourself about. Like, no. you, like your body, your insides tell you. Yeah. And like he may not have communicated that in the best way. Um, but it was definitely overwhelming being like, you know, we're young and we're having these kids and I'm dealing with this health issues and now we're learning that I have <laughs> this like genetic stuff going on and it's not easy and I have a baby in me and sure. like, yeah, it's so hard enough having a relationship when things are easy. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, so there was, there was that, but here at the end of the day, like if you are with somebody and you are sick, it doesn't matter. You can't let somebody like shame you for that. And if you have to respect, you have to be honest, radical honesty in a relationship is so important and, and be real with each other and be like, this is not going to work for me. Well, we spoke the other day about very few people in today's world are radically honest, yeah. right? Or radically truthful, radically transparent. Yeah. W- why is that? Or what's your belief on why that is? <sighs> well, have you been honest with somebody and then seen the reaction? Every, every day. Unfortunately, I'm really radically honest. <laughs> a lot of people don't like that. No, see, I do <laughs> like all. it. I think that people have a lot of fear, but also I think that people have this idea in their head that they're responsible for like somebody else's happiness or or regulating their emotions or like, like I don't, I mean, unless you're being a complete douchebag, you have to deal with your own triggers. So if I say something to you in my honest truth and it triggers you, that's, that's on you. That's not really on me. And same vice versa. Like if someone comes to me with something like, I have best friends who have literally been like, Chelsea, you're creating this illness in your mind because they believe in manifestation. And I can sit there and listen objectively and not really be triggered because it's like, if you do the work, so you're you not you don't have triggered. any triggers? I have some triggers. Oh, yeah. Oh, ga- being gaslighted is like my number one. So you one. are human. That is my number one trigger. When somebody tries to make me deny my reality, I can't. It's just, it's a theme. In I my was life. listening to the Calm app. For the past two nights, and one of the I think I sent you a picture, a screenshot of yeah, it. Yeah, And night. one thing is called incomplete, right? So, yeah. I have a couple of, like second books I'm writing, and I I always say like I couldn't have a podcast until I thought of the title. If I'm a title guy, and uh-huh. then I could write the story yeah. without having the title or the name, I can't write the whole story. So I have like whatever five books I started writing, but I can't think of the title, so I can't move on and keep writing. But now because of like the mortgage quarterback and football, my yeah. story, my background, like the next title of my book or one of the books I'm going to write is going to be called Passing Complete. And mm. it's like, wait, what? Because in the meditation, it's talking about how people are actually complete or you can find completion inside yourself. Mm-hmm. But it'll give an example of how you have like a circle that's trying to fit into a rectangle. It's my dad literally says this to me. It's my dad's watching the side. Hey, dad. So <laughs> you have that trying to fit in, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. You, you don't need that to be complete. So people walk around incomplete, mm-hmm. looking and searching for people or relationships to fill a void. 100%. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you're complete on your own. But right. what's also interesting is, again, I think, like, there's very little discussion about that. Obviously, like, if you want to find something in today's world, you can find it. But mm-hmm. it's not, like, in your face. Like, if you're watching this, you probably never heard this before or took serious attention to it. Yeah. Like, you need to complete yourself first. 100%. Then the other person has to complete themselves first in business, personal, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then now you're able to form a structure on top of that and build. Yeah. But when both people are incomplete and you're feeding off of each other for a void, whatever that void may be, mental, physical, financially, mm-hmm. like you're setting yourself up for a disaster. And it's very hard coming into anything incomplete and pretending like the foundation is complete. And I think most people do that, again, in personal and business. And that's why, yeah. you know, the world is the way it is today. I completely agree. I mean, kind of what you're talking about is codependency too. Completely. I think that's... And how can you... So how can you have these honest conversations when you're... Dep- with somebody where you're depending on them for your happiness? 
like if you're depending on that lover's sure. validation sure. and support and them being there, of course you're fearful to be radically honest because that means that they would take that away from you and there you go, you're with your void. So if, again, if you haven't done that work, that inner completion, and, you, and that person gets pulled away from you, you freaking fall apart. You fall apart. So how do you rebound from that if you do fall apart? Like, what are your strategies or what have helped you yeah. like, once you thought you hit rock bottom? Yeah, I've always learned that rock bottom isn't always rock bottom. Like, you think you hit rock bottom, then there's, like, another step down, and then there's, like, there's ten, like steps, ten steps down. steps down, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's helped you, like, rebound from that or rebuild? All right, so I'm going to be really honest. So No, lie to us. I'm going to lie. Um, let's be radical honest. So when it comes to my health, steroids. So <laughs> methyl. You have big muscles. Yeah, I do. Like methylprednisolone, steroids. When things get really, really out of control, like I could deal with any physical problem. I could not walk. I could stand up and pass out. I could throw up 20 times. I could be bleeding out of every freaking hole. And you're okay. I'm fine. My skin, with it, the level of like rashes with the eosinophils, it, like it, it's burning your skin alive almost. It's like burning, itching, Horrible. bleeding, cracking, like unbearable. So for me in a physical capacity... I turn to, like, steroids for that. Now, like, physical pain, I can man through, no problem. I, it's just, to me, I don't even care. Let's say if you give birth, you could do anything. I don't care. You know, like, I mean, but just just in general, like, I can muddle through pain because I know pain is passing. The skin stuff's a lot. So I, I would say for me, being chronically ill, and a lot of people who have autoimmune diseases are going to be like, yeah, she's right. Like, just a little bit of low-dose steroid, even if it's four milligrams, that, that on my worst physical days puts me through. Um, as far as rebounding emotionally... You have to be able to be in that hot loneliness. You have to be able to experience those intense feelings and sit with them because that's the only way I have found for them to truly pass without taking a Xanax, without taking any medication, which if you need medicine, totally not saying that's a problem. Um, But just for me, sitting, like when I broke up with my ex and like the kids would go to his house, I would just like sit in the dark. And, Quiet, like, nothing else. Oh, my, such a creep. Such a creep. And just sit in my living room and just be like, I'm going to sit with my feelings. Like, so, and actually said that to yourself. <laughs> like, like, like so somber. Yeah, whatever. Right. But it's like the only way. I've been there. What was I supposed to do? You know, was I supposed to go out and drink and like have sex and just like mask all the pain? I couldn't do that because that's what you do when you're younger, you know? So do you think people, again, like, I be- I'm a big believer that how you dealt with problems in the past, mm-hmm. call it like 10 years old, 15 years old, 20, yeah. 30, whatever, however many ages you want to put into that group, right? Yeah, yeah. Most people are what they are yeah. in general. Again, like if you're 15, you're doing what you did at 10. If you're 25, you're doing what you did at 15 and 10. Yeah. Obviously, you want to evolve and find new ways. Of course. But I feel like because of COVID in yeah. particular, that's limited to the distraction ability, right? Yeah. Like you can't go out to a bar. You can't go out with friends and have dinner. Mm-mm. You can't necessarily go to the gym. You know, if it's Mm-mm. cold out, you can't go to the park, you know. So you can't have human interaction. So what have people done to replace what their normal escapes were? You know, that's a question I would love to ask people. And that's one of the reasons I started doing these videos. Um, I, just, I, was, I was seeing so many people unravel around me. And I was like, how can I be of service? And how could all this pain I went through and struggle... How could that help someone? And that's why I started doing these videos to try to tell people, you know, I did a video on addiction and I did a video on intense emotions. And like, you can't keep using things to escape yourself. 
And yes, maybe COVID did force some people, but at the same time, like they find other ways. They find other ways to escape their shit. If you're not ready to look at what's really, what your stuff is, I feel like you'll find anything to escape it. So what are some healthy ways to escape? Healthy ways to escape. That's, you know, so this is funny. Is escaping healthy? You tell me. I don't know. You're the expert. I brought you on the no, interview. No, here's the you. thing. Like, okay. you, I, ask, you, want, you want to be the interviewer? Okay. I am. So I'm, I'm the, I'm, again, like not attaching too hard to one perspective. So I would say that there are healthy ways to do stress reduction, to bring joy into your life, to lift your mood. Is it temporary though? I think it's cumulative. So the more of that little stuff you add, you'll have that cumulative effect. Same with trauma. Um, but I think it's hard. I think it's hard because if what you're doing is actually escaping something you need to really be facing, no matter what it is, whether it's juicing a hundred thousand carrots and doing a hundred push-ups, or is that what you do? That's definitely not. But I can't <laughs> even eat carrots. I'm allergic to carrots. Uh, Fair. I wish I could. Yeah. Uh, the things I wish. Um, or if it's, you know, something more intense like a sex or a porn addiction or a, a drug addiction. Like it's – if you are escaping, I don't know if you could genuinely ever truly know who you are, ever truly be whole, ever really be able to participate in a raw, honest relationship. And that goes through love and business and everything. So I would say, in my opinion, 95 – I'm going to throw this out there. I have yeah. no statistics to back this okay. up. I didn't read this anywhere. I would say – from my experience on earth, including myself, 95% of people struggle with exactly what you said, right? Whether it's the gym, which is a healthy habit, but you can still be addicted. Yeah. All the things that come with it, alcoholism, you name it, right? Sex, porn, whatever, mm -hmm. right? If no one really knows who they are, then do you really ever have a real genuine relationship? Because like, no one really truly knows everybody does. Like I can tell you like my best friend, Jason, I know mm -hmm more about him than anyone else and he knows more about me than anybody else and that's a fact like anybody we've ever dated he has a wife she probably knows some things that i don't know but i know things that she doesn't and vice versa yeah. right that's just that relationship but how do you truly form a relationship with somebody when you really don't know what you're dealing with so what i would what i would think in in that situation which i think a lot of people are is that they're forming a relationship with the projection and the illusion of who somebody is trying to be Correct. So then you have these two illusionary humans trying to fabricate this deep relationship. And then we sit here and wonder why, like, what is it? 60, I don't know the statistics, 60, 55% of the marriages fail and are divorced. It's and like, think about it, if you gave everybody unlimited money, that number would probably be 90, 95%. I like 95% today for whatever reason. 95 keeps coming up in my mind. Uh, but think about that. If people weren't yeah. codependent, didn't have yeah. kids, and didn't have money, yeah. the number would be much higher. Oh, Or sure. like fear of what the outside thinks, or I don't want to lose this friend, or what's my mother going to say, or mm -hmm. you know whatever the case might be. Yeah, because they wait for something so tragic, okay, to happen because the fear of the unknown at that point then and getting out of the relationship – it's easier. It's it's better to go into the unknown than it is to stay in the familiar because something bad happened. But I see people unraveling all around me in their relationships, and there's not this like one thing. It's not like this one person's cheating or this. It's just this multiple things. Oh yeah. So in that same com, so anyone that doesn't have the Calm app, I got suckered into downloading it two Christmases ago. I've always meditated since 2018, since my son was born. I broke my ankle. Um, that was my like that was my escape. That was like my healthy escape. Like it helped me become who mm -hmm. I am. I meditate probably. 
at least once a day, if not five times a day, depending yeah. on the day, you know, oh, like, try and squeeze it in when I can. Yeah. Um, mostly at night and in the morning, depending mm-hmm. on what's going on otherwise. But in the comment, it said something along the lines of like unconditional love. Right. And what we as a society know as unconditional love and love isn't truly what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like unconditional love is, let's say we're in a relationship and I'm like, hey, I want to run outside on the street butt naked right now. Yeah. And you're like, okay, honey, go have fun. Go run around the block naked. Yeah. Like, do what you got to do. Come in because you're happy I'm doing what I say I want to do. Yes. But in today's world, it's like, no, don't go do that. It's selfish. So it's not unconditional. You don't unconditionally love somebody if you're preventing them from doing anything that they want to do. Or like, hey, mm-hmm. I want to go to Florida for two days. No, don't do that because I want to come with you. But if I wanted you to come with me, I would have said, hey, come to Florida with me for two days. So exactly. I think it's interesting putting that into perspective. Yeah, I think we're all, I think, you know, especially our generation, like we're exploring these things more than ever. I agree. I think because we have to figure out a new norm. We do. We need to figure out why things aren't working. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you if you wanted to go do something and your pers- the person doesn't, even though that makes you happy, it's probably like out of a sense of neediness and that dependency. Bingo, neediness. They said neediness. neediness. But at what point, so I don't love men unconditionally. Hell no. No, not even your father? Unconditionally? What are the or let's Oh wait, what are the conditions of which you love your father? Listen, I love my dad more than anyone. Um, besides, you know, my mom, my kids, whatever. My dad is my favorite. <laughs> dad, you're number four at best. <laughs> no, he's like number one. I mean, with him, maybe. I don't judge my dad. Can he do any wrong in your eyes? Yes, but it would have to be something crazy. Like my dad. And I have pretty real, honest, radically honest relationship, I would say, as much as we can. Which is, un- which is unusual because usually girls are closer to their mother. Yeah. I mean, my mom and I are close too, but my dad and I have a very, we have the same mindset. And like, he can come to me and be like, whatever it is and say it to me. And I don't get offended. Like, uh, you ever read The Four Agreements? Mm-hmm. It's this like book. There's these four agreements. You know, uh, We're not going to get into it. But one of them is not taking things personally. So it, he can always come to me. I'm not going to take things personally. Tell me what's up. Give me advice. And I honestly... You know, we'll listen. But yeah, I guess with my dad, not as, you know, much. But uh, a guy I date, hell yeah, there's conditions. There's a shit ton of conditions. My kids, they're unconditional. That's it. They're the only ones who get that title of unconditional love. A man, there are conditions. Like, you can't treat me a certain way. Like, there are boundaries. And if you don't fall in line and you treat me a certain way, I don't love you anymore. You're out. So are you really, let's get to the deeper question. Is that ever really in love then? Um, or do you not believe that there is true love to that sense? Like, there's love, obviously. Like, oh, I love this pen. Love with his pen yeah. writes. Yeah. Versus, like, I love this person. But if you love them conditionally, do you really love them? It's like getting a mortgage commitment with 50 conditions. Yeah. Like, yeah, you got a commitment, but you have to meet 50 hurdles in order to get this. So my hurdles are pretty uh, easy. I don't create a lot of holes in the ship. Right. Okay? I think number one is to not be abusive verbally or physically. Yeah. I mean, these are, but these are my conditions. Yeah, and yeah, you're right. Like, I don't care. Like, if I was with, married to someone for 30 years, cheating's one thing. That's more of a symptom to me of something like. It's a void. I, th- I think it's a void, a void. Or, or an addiction. But, but also, like, needing excitement. There's a lot. But, like, there's, there's clear lines in the sand here. Like, if you were going to continuously gaslight and lie, or uh, sick shame or just shame in general, manipulate, be abusive, you're out. That's it. Like, there's no, like... That was a big New York accent you had there. That's just, that's just conditions. Like, and anyone who says different, like, 
I mean, I love myself more. And I, I, I also love my daughters, and I want to show them. Like, right. a big thing in leaving their dad, it's like to show them, speak my truth, live in my truth, and try to give them an example of a healthy dynamic. But how hard is know? that? Like, obviously, you have two little girls that look yeah. up to you. They obviously want to know where daddy is, yeah. right? Like, talk about the guilt and shame that came along with making that decision. Yeah. Well, so, so, some, so I was really angry. when I didn't say I made this decision out of anger. I made this decision over years of my life, okay? So this took me years to make. But there was a lot of anger there. And I think anger sometimes is okay because it's a last-ditch effort to feel powerful in a situation where you might be feeling completely powerless. So with that, anger was actually at the time my motivating factor that kept me going, kept me working, kept me saving, and then gave me the strength really to get out and get my own place with two little kids. My daughter was like 10 months old at the time. Um, But was there guilt? Oh my God. Still? Yes. So much. I don't know. You know, I don't think that ever goes away. I don't think it goes away. Like, I don't even think it's a two home thing because their dad's, he's an amazing dad. Like he's with them all the time. The kids are back and forth a lot. It's not a strict schedule. It's not like that. I always say I'm a co-parenting mom, not a single mom so much because it, you know, it's like this, like, it's, but it's chill too. It's like they're with their dad. They're with their mom. It's not that like every other weekend crap and that's it. They need their dad 50, 50, just as much as they need me. I truly believe that. Um, great man for them. Great dad. But do I feel guilty? I mean, shit, I feel guilty about being a full-time working mother. Like, just, oh, my God. Like, even just going back into the working. So I took off for two and a half years with my first daughter, and I didn't really work. I mean, I had my own company, but I wasn't full-time. So when I went back to work, oh, God, I was such a martyr. It's like, get down from the cross. We need the wood. Really? Yeah, no, martyr. Like, it's just crying. I couldn't leave her. She would run and hold on to me. And I was like, oh, my God. And my nanny was amazing, this girl, Carrie, because she would. She was very soft and loving. And she she supported us through that transition. Another amazing woman. You know, like, sure. I'm just blessed with all these girls. I don't know. <laughs> but she supported us um, and our family through that, you know, and me going back to work. But then I left Sophie, my, my uh, daughter, at, I think two months. To go back to work because I needed to make money. Sure, it's sure, hustle time. Sure. So yeah, there's tons of guilt. I mean, that's never going to go away. I wish I could have raised my kids, and that's just my perspective, you know. So how do you pull yourself up when you fall down? Like, what are your own tricks that you use? For me, number one thing I do is when I am down, I let myself rest. Rest. I swear to you, it is profound, and it sounds stupid, but I do get sick sometimes around my period. If you're a girl, you'll know what I'm talking about, especially if you have autoimmune diseases. Hormones trigger certain things. And I used to be very hard on myself. Like, if I was sick, like, no, you have to go to the gym. No, you have to get all this work done. Now I trust in myself, and, and it goes back to that. I know that if I'm feeling down and I'm having a horrible day mentally, physically, whatever, I know if I rest and I give myself some time, it's usually a day or two, that I will just bounce back and be fine. Like, it's it's trusting in yourself and looking at your past data. Like, if you look at your past data and you're like, all right, I've gone through this, this, and that. I've always had I've always had money. I've always had a roof over the he- my head. I've always had food. I've always been vertical. I've always made it through. If I future trip into some weird scenario, why would it be any different, though? Why is today any different? Like, if I need a break, take a break. But I trust that no matter what, I got this. Interesting. So as far as mindset goes, for people that are listening that are not in the right mindset right now, yeah. 
what's your first protocol? Is it like accepting that your mindset needs to change or is it more of like, hey, go meditate or hey, speak to you? Like, what would you advise somebody? Yeah, it's so Obviously funny. Obviously speak to you, but go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't even know. Do, <laughs> do people want to speak to me? Um, so TBD, find TBD out. TBD yeah. uh, So meditation's interesting because so with meditation, if you meditate, 5, 20, 10 minutes a day, whatever it is. But then you live the other 23 hours in complete chaos. That meditation probably isn't helping a lot. So I think doing things throughout the day, like practicing the art of concentration, is so big. Uh, when you're doing a task, sitting and focusing on that task, whether it be making your bed, doing the dishes, uh, being with your children and just being with them, you know, practicing concentration. And the reason I say that is because if you learn concentration, you can then start to control your awareness more in your mind. And when it drifts into a really dark place, you can kind of pull your awareness and concentrate on something else. But if you are having a really hard time, I, I, there, there's no shame in therapy. I think therapy is definitely an important step especially right now because people are they're just in this uncertain time and it's chaotic for them and they're feeling really heavy emotions that you know they need to learn how to cope with and sit with but I do fear saying just go sit alone because there's other things like suicide and there's you know and this real. is real like yeah. I work with nonprofits that are telling me that the their suicide rate is up and they're stressed out it's like I don't want to just say like oh just go sit with your shit no like Go to a therapist, get evaluated, then come and sit with My only show. problem with therapists was and I've spoken to, I don't know, 10 maybe in my life. Like yeah. most were like one and done. And then my problem is like I'll be speaking to a therapist and I feel like it's a deposit bad episode. And like I wound up hearing their shit. Like I had one lady, I swear <laughs> to God, right? I swear to God, I was sitting there, <laughs> sitting with my son's mother. And this girl's like, yeah, you know. I don't sleep with my this lady who's a therapist. Like, I don't sleep with my son's my my I don't sleep with my my husband anymore. He's yeah. an alcoholic. I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Who are we talking? We're paying you, and you're sitting here talking about like what your problems are. You know, so I think there's a fine line to get to find like anything to find the right person for you. Yeah. But are there any like do-it-yourself methods that you recommend to people? Yeah, and and, and the therapy thing, I just say it to to because. God forbid somebody's really struggling right now. I think it's important. Just get a pro professional medical opinion if you think you need it. You know what I mean? Let's be safe there. Um, and then for yourself, life is supposed to be full of joy. And we forget that. Like, why are we forgetting this? Pressure? Outside pressure? I don't even know what it is. But, like, when you're a kid, you just – look at your kids, man. They my son wakes up every day happy first thing. Daddy plays yeah. with my toys. So exciting. No matter what happens. Isn't he excited for life? Every day. Every Same. second. My kids too. Maya, not so much right now. Sophie, she wakes up and it's like, <gasps> it's just the sky is bright and we're ready to wake up. And But they try things. This is the thing. Kids try things. Like you'll see as your son gets older, he'll try maybe baseball, maybe football. You know, you liked football. Uh, hockey. Like he'll just start sampling life. Like he'll, maybe he'll like chess. Maybe he'll like puzzles. Like they try things. You think adults stop trying things? I think we stop sampling life. And then we wonder why we're depressed. Like sample life. Like if you, you don't, people will be like, well, I don't, here's the saddest thing. So I do kind of like coach people. I'm not trying to pitch that, but I do. And this one person was telling me that they don't even know what makes them happy anymore. And then I started hearing this from so many people. Adults. Like, I believe it. I'm like, well, I, well, I said, well, okay, she's on medicine. You, you're in therapy. Awesome. 
what are you doing every day to make yourself happier? And it was like, she just didn't know. And, uh, to me, that's a big deal. That's a big deal to me. And I said, okay, well, you need to, let's start sampling likes. Here's some things like you should be trying. See if, see if you can find a passion. So I think the biggest thing of what you just said is, and everyone's going to get a free session out of you for this, <laughs> just that's listening, not extra ad side of here, <laughs> but like use an athlete as an example, right? Um, use it as a high school athlete that played three sports, now goes to college, mm-hmm. has nothing to get into partying and drugs or whatever, oh, right? Sure, yeah. Or a professional athlete that has a career-ending injury or you get so old you can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. Now they have this structure, this routine, this void, that now they have to replace everything that they knew and lived for, the legacy, the brand, the image, the yeah. godlike figure. Yeah. Now they're just an average Joe again. So, like, what would be your advice to an athlete or a dancer or yeah. a professional? Oh, I, trust me, I, I or a professional yeah. professional mother, if you yeah. will, now that went from a professional corporate world that now is only a mother and that now maybe doesn't have their own earning capabilities or they're at home with the kids. They don't have like a financial purpose or like a mm-hmm. bigger vision. What was your advice be to them to replace what they once knew and had so again that goes back to us we create this identity for ourselves and we create we all have our narrative you know we all have our victim story too we all have this idea of who we actually are and when we attach so strongly to this illusion of who we are that takes a lot of time to deconstruct and years. It, years. It do, and it's just honest. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. Yep. I mean, I was a competitive gymnast. I mean, like, I went down that, that route. I didn't go in, like, college, but, I, you know, I could, I could, I understand. Like, you an, do a mean handstand? The mean handstand. Back to <laughs> yeah. I, I understand the idea of an identity crisis because you have to also understand when I became sick, everything fell apart from around me. My whole identity of who I was, this party girl, this fun girl, this finance person. I was so much fun. <laughs> I my kids are like, no, she was never fun. <laughs> um, no, but I was like a very fun, outgoing. I, you know, I owned a company. I was doing this. I was working. I was like hustling, you know, and that had to come to an end. Do you feel like the life got taken from you or taken out of you? Yeah. I feel like when I got sick, I was just, yeah, depleted. But if you are that way and you have this void, first accept that that's okay. Instead of trying to reach for something to fix that void or like reach for something to fill it, Maybe just sit with it and accept that it's there. So are you not a fan of rebounds? Like, you know, you break up with somebody, like you bit you with someone, and they call oh, it a rebound. So, What's your opinion on rebounds? Oh, my God. So I was like the rebound queen. This I is so hard. I'm going to look like yeah. the biggest slut on this ever. Right. Rebound queen. That should, be, that should be your Instagram <laughs> name, the rebound queen. Sorry, Dad. For sorry, anybody, Mom. for any guys that just broke up with somebody, you got the rebound, rebound queen. Rebound queen right here, yeah. right yeah. here. No, but when I was younger, that's like, I, I, I think it was more like, I, I always say it's like we're monkeys and we're just like swinging from vine to vine like this one's broken, wee, next vine, sure, you sure. know? And it's like, and again, like, and then we like get in these shit relationships and then we're like, oh, this didn't work. Let me like wallpaper over this one with a new relationship and that one didn't work. And it's just all this layer of nonsense that ends up happening. So rebounds are fun. Not taking anything away from that. And if you need a rebound, like you'll know. So when I was younger, I rebounded and it was tragic because I broke a lot of hearts. You were a heartbreaker? I don't I mean like not not everyone. <laughs> Some people broke my heart. Yeah, it's fair. But I did know I know of several men 
<laughs> sounds so like old men. <laughs> no, it sounds so funny. Sugar several, daddies. There were several. No, no sugar daddies. I don't like old daddies. All right. um, so you're young kids. We were young at the time, but right. I mean, always like a couple years older. Yeah, you know? But these guys, like, I broke their heart just because I was using them, like you're talking about, to self-soothe. Not to self-soothe. To soothe me because I didn't want to self-soothe. Sure. Soothe my broken heart. Make me feel better. Put me back together. Meh. But then I would end up screwing them over or hurting them, you know? And that's, from my experience, why I think rebounds aren't good. But if you're coming off of, like, a relationship and you've had no intimacy, you've had no passion, and, you know, someone walks into your life and they offer that to you, and you want to explore that, I think as long as it's not filling you that void and you're still doing the work, it's okay to have some pleasure, you know? So my question is, and then we'll kind of like reverse roles here, right? So you say like, yeah, I broke hearts, right? Mm -hmm. But is that real, right? Because you broke someone's heart, like you actually didn't break their heart, they just don't like the decision that you made. You know where I'm coming from? For sure, so I think we have to be careful in this because I do agree that we are all in control of our own inner worlds. We regulate our emotions. We regulate our triggers. No one could actually make us say, do, or feel anything. And that's a big topic for me is like, don't come to me with your nonsense and tell me that it's like, you know, like you made me do this, right? You're in control of your actions. But at the same time, at what level of a douchebag can we be <laughs> to where there's no ownership? Because we are co-creating here, you know? And if, if there's terms and can, so if you're in a relationship and there's, we have together agreed on those terms and conditions, and then I break those terms and conditions. Yeah, but I think a lot of people problem. have unspoken terms and conditions or call it unrealistic expectations or false expectations false. in general, right? Like, but that's sometimes your fault. Like if you put that so on how them. how do you prevent that? That's my question. How so, do people prevent that in relationships? Because I think a lot yeah. of relationships fail for numerous reasons, obviously, yeah. but specifically communication. Yeah. Um, and just being on different pages. Yeah. I think, and that's reality. But is it, and this is the other thing that's so hard. It's like, how do I say this? Is failing bad? Like, I look at me and my ex, and I'm like, I still love him. He's still the father of my kids. You always will. I will always love him. We co-parent, honestly, on most days really well. Like, we just went to, to a bowling party together with the kids, and people were like, oh, my God, they're, you guys are so good yeah, together. so nice. Did we fail? Yes. In the sense of being romantic, we failed. But did we really fail? I would say, no, we have to redefine failing. I think we'd be failing more if we were in the same house fighting every freaking day. And if we were putting these pressures on each other and we couldn't meet each other's expectations. To me, that's failing more. So I guess being clear and honest with your terms and conditions um, and allowing things to fail. I don't, I don't know how I feel about marriage. I don't know how I feel about any of it. I obviously believe in the family unit. And if you could be with the person that you have children with, I think that's wonderful and you fight for it. I fought for it. But if it, you know, if it doesn't work, I think we need to be accepting of that and let go of that with grace instead of with anger. So I look at, recently I've been obviously like looking at people, like I look at The Rock, you know, The Rock. So hot. Okay. <laughs> Shout out to The Rock, Damon John, yeah, and yeah. Tony Robbins. Like those are three yeah. people that I yeah. say I respect and I watch from afar. I've met Damon John, I've met Tony Robbins. Yeah, I have yet to meet The Rock. Okay. One day, maybe I'll, we could both. One meet day we'll get, <laughs> yeah, we'll get the people's elbow, people's yeah. eyebrow. Yeah. Um, but as far as like Damon John and Tony Robbins go, like they tell their stories. And Damon John came out flat and said it. He was like, "You know, my first 
marriage, my first child, right? I was never home. I was building my empire. No one was going to stop me from going where I was. Yeah. And from what I know about Tony Robbins, it's essentially kind of like the same thing. He actually married somebody and he brought their kids and that didn't work out, right? I remember that. And then you have The Rock who went through, from what I know, a bad marriage, breakup, whatever, and now he has a new wife and kids, right? Yeah. So you got to look at people that have failed and rebuilt like that's something i admire most of people in general people mm-hmm. in business in particular obviously yeah. like look you could have taken that fall on the street became an addict killed yourself became an alcoholic yeah. you didn't have to be the rock you didn't have to be the shark mm-hmm. you didn't have to become tony robbins right yeah. but i think discussion needs to be had especially in the time that we're in today right. of their specific stories of what they did yeah. to like succeed at round two if you will right in, in a relationship Correct. So from like, all right, here's my first go around. Yeah. And then the darkness in the middle. Like, I think that needs to be shared more because more people are in that darkness, I feel like, and they can't get out of that darkness or they're afraid to because they have nothing to chase or follow. Like, there's no strategic guide that says, do these things for two years straight and then you'll get into like, you know, your next Maybe I should write that book. That's what I've been doing for two, three, four years. No, but that's, <laughs> no. But that's real. I mean, it's serious. Like, where do you go? You know, and again, you have to obviously yeah. figure out like who you go for. That's so why I use those three as an example because everyone knows who those yeah. three people yeah. are. You know, I think it'd be interesting hearing their perspective of like and everything to like come back stronger. A hundred percent. But I think a lot of it was these people, the people I've seen do this work that you're talking about successfully in my own life, they got out of really toxic relationships and then they found who they were and they were, it's so cliche, but like, happy by themselves and whole by themselves and learned how to bring joy and pleasure into their life without a partner. And when they hit that, when their bucket was full and overflowing, I feel like then the universe just brought someone to them at that same frequency, at, you know, traveling at that same vibrational level mm-hmm. with the same type of bucket that was overflowing as well and then this just this magic happens like maybe it is something miracle maybe it is like a serendipitous thing do you think in a relationship some person has to sacrifice more than the other for it to succeed if that is the case then i seriously think you need to question if that's where you should be interesting expand on that go deep there okay so I think it depends what you're sacrificing, but I think you should be able to be authentically who you are. And even if it's something like, there's guys out there who are into some like weirder sexual things. Like, but you need to be, you shouldn't sacrifice, if you're not a vanilla person, you shouldn't be sacrificing and trying to like down yourself. You watch the show Billions? Mm -mm. Oh my God, it's my favorite. You ever watch Billions? No. You need to watch Billions. So. Again, it's an interesting story and dynamic, and I love the show. It's about like this big hedge fund guy. I think he lives in Long Island. Uh-huh. Bobby Axelrod, it's awesome. He runs yeah. X Capital. It's just a great show. Yeah. Like, it's one of my go-to shows that I'm like, this is fucking cool. Yeah. And there's a big, powerful like DA, I think the district attorney or whatever, high up yeah. in the political ranks, and then Bobby Axelrod, who runs X Capital, and then his assistant, Wendy. She's like the shrink. Okay. But she runs his company, yeah. and it's like this guy, her husband, trying to take down Bobby Axelrod for like insider trading, oh fraud, you name it. So, yeah. but like, like this wife's in the middle, but like at work she's a beast, she's a killer, mm-hmm. and at home she's married to this guy because she probably thought, oh, this guy's gonna make it in life, you mm-hmm. know, like this guy's gonna be successful, has political ties. But at the end of the day, like she goes and watches him get like dominated by like, dominatrix, like for example. So like he goes like these 
underground New York City yeah. places are probably these right around the corner. Real. Like, they yeah. whip them, they tie them up, like, these little Asian girls, like, do whatever to them. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's real, right? But they have a terrible marriage. Everyone knows they have a terrible marriage. She finally leaves him in the end. But, like, it's interesting watching that dynamic of, like, who she is at work versus who she is at home. So yes. what's your opinion on women or men in general that kind of live two lives? And, like, the people that I know that yeah. have cheated have met that person they cheated with at work. So explain that. Like, does that mean so? Like, yes. like, you're not being honest with yourself either at home, or you're not being honest with yourself at work. And I'm, I'm assuming most yeah. people are being fake at work and real at re, fake. I'm assuming most people are being fake at home and real at work. That's my that's my opinion. And this is close to home for me. Why? I should say so. I share. So I would say that um, yes, I have had romantic relationships with people I work with. I mean, Carlos and I, the, the father of my kids, we met at work. We met at Chase. And, you know, things have gone on in his life. Were you chasing him or is he chasing you? I mean, I wasn't chasing anybody. <laughs> we chased men. I, uh, real quick thing. Ladies, like, can we remember, like, we're the prey. Men need to hunt. They need to be the hunter. They need to be the ones that are doing I've the I've had work. some women hunt me. Uh, no, it's not, that's not your role. Is that fun for you? I'm just saying. It's not fun. Um, it's not fun. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Like, I, it's not fun. I think, like, in that way, if somebody has... I've had some older women hunt me, like 60-year-olds. That's intense. Go ahead. I'm that's like scared. super intense. I'm scared. I'm scared. Go ahead. No, but if, if someone is into certain things, or they are what they are, there's probably somebody out there who would match that. Like, maybe I'm not into underground places that whip you. Maybe my best friend is. I mean, I don't think they are. <laughs> maybe. I don't maybe. know. What was the girl's <laughs> name? Amanda? Yeah, right. <laughs> Amanda. <laughs> Amanda. Definitely Amanda. Right. put Amanda's oh Instagram goodness. right here. <laughs> And we're going to advertise that she's oh into God. whipping. So if any guys are watching this, oh, follow she's Amanda. She's married. She's got a baby. Okay. Guys, follow Amanda. <laughs> no, but there's probably somebody out there, you know, who's a good fit for you. Like, for me, I surf. I've always surfed. And I've dated guys who haven't. And I feel like I sacrificed who I am because, you know, like, they want to go to these parties in Atlantic City. I mean, this is before I had kids. And, like, rage on the weekends. I'm like, I want to wake up at 5 a.m. and go surfing, go on a surf trip. So it's like... Yeah, I don't really think you should be sacrificing who you are. Because why would you? If there's millions and billions of people out there, do you really think that there's not one freaky girl who would be able to handle what you want or a surfer guy who'd be able to, like, meet you at the beach at 5 in the morning? Why are we in such a hurry? Why do we feel like we need to settle and fill that void so quick? I mean, especially women, like, I get it with the, the, the fertility, but... Even so, we do, we jumped the gun. We jumped the gun way too quick. So you mentioned earlier about vibes, like your vibrations put out, pull yeah. people in. Touch on that a little bit and explain how you could change your vibe yeah. and attract what you want, not what you don't want. Yeah, so uh, law of attraction, manifestation. This is all stuff that might not resonate with certain people, but I'm just going to speak from my experience. Um, and again, I'm not really attached to this either vibration so I would use that as kind of like a state of being like your baseline feeling so in one of my videos I asked like if you had to rate your level of happiness one to ten where would you be and are you letting things outside of you like contribute to your happiness engage you know how happy you are like what is what is really going on inside of you so as a vibe I would just say like a feeling we could change the word with feeling so if you are having higher feelings like Feelings of joy and love, bliss, pleasure, those are more high vibrational, right, feelings. They are, they are supposed to, they say, have a frequency. 
associated with them, kind of like sound. Um, and you know, cons conversely, if you have low vibrational feelings, like things are being said, shame, guilt, you know, they say that that's low vibration, that's low vibe, and there's a frequency kind of like sound with that as well. And there is this idea that in our world, in our universe, that frequencies seek each other, you know, like birds of a feather flock together, and they connect with each other. And now, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but if you do, like, look at the world around you, you know, I've had a lot of people I love be drug addicts, and they flock with other drug addicts, you know? Uh, bankers flock with other bankers. Uh, finance guys, frat guys flock with them. Like, you just see, this is, like, the frequency that's where they're at. So I, I do kind of believe that as you raise your joy factors, your internal, real genuine feelings of good, not, like, from drinking or doing drugs, but, like, that real innate blissful feeling that you're kind of you know operating at a higher level and that maybe you're attracting people who are kind of at that higher level as well but it, again it could be complete shit i could this can be complete nonsense all right yeah. interesting. <laughs> there so i didn't do this last time and i forgot on the last episode so as we close up each episode we require i require the guests to tell someone their deposit that like their deposit that like take this home bank on it incorporate this immediately what's your advice to everybody that's going to watch this or that's listening right now what's one thing you want them to do immediately hmm one thing i would say number one rest just give yourself permission to rest and two i know it's not supposed to have one but you have to. Believe in yourself. Double deposit that. Freaking believe in yourself. What is this like? I'm so sick of people just like being floundering in their mind and forgetting who they are. Remember who you are. Take a breath and remember who you are. You know? Remember what it is you like to do. What you what makes you happy in life. Remember who you are. And don't let anybody convince you that your reality is any different than it is. Just be true to yourself. Right, make sure you put the big brain that we're going to create right here. So, like, mm -hmm. deposit that into the brain. Everybody go follow Chelsea. Hey. Thank you for coming on Deposit That Episode 5, Season 2. And we look forward to having you back on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me.